So he sits down to write a letter. He hasn't talked to these friends for a while. <clears throat> his heart's heavy, though. This isn't one of those, uh, just to be encouraged, there's just stuff on his heart that he has to get out. And, and I wonder if this is how it looked, that as he was writing this certain part, if tears started to come down his cheeks, as he started thinking of the weight of the statement that he's writing to these friends, these fellow Christians, at a church that he adores and desires to see them know Jesus even better. I wonder if he tears up when he writes this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And I wonder if as he hit that last part, reveal his son to me, if he just put his, put his pen down. He got all choked up and started thinking of the statement that he just wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who set me apart before I was born, that God had a plan for him, that this wasn't his reacting to something, that at another letter of a bunch of Christians that he wrote, he says, before the foundation of the world, you chose me. I was chosen by you before you created anything. Referring to this God that is sovereign and outside of time, and yet somehow inside time with us. What did he feel when he write, who called me by his grace, who was pleased to reveal his son to me, that he was pleased that made God happy to do so. So very often we just think that God loves us because he has to. For God is love and for God not to love means that God might cease to exist. And we just think that God is kind of putting up with us. But do you ever pull back and realize that it pleased God that at the right time that he revealed himself to Paul. Other places you'll see him named as Saul, that Saul would be his Hebrew name, that Paul is his Greek name. Did he get choked up as he wrote that thing? I don't know how to explain this. And then he's looking back at just a few sentences before of what it is that he just wrote about his past, where he's reminding these people in this place called Galatia, just going, okay, this is what it was like, but he says, for I would have, I would have, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was it taught, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard, now this is it, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. I think that's the part that just kind of overwhelmed him that as he thinks about, wait, you called me before the foundation of the world. It pleased you to call me by your grace. And yet I'm the one who tried to destroy your church. Violently opposing that which you set up for the betterment of the world. Now when you look at the story in the book of Acts, in chapter 7 we look at Stephen and Stephen is known as the first martyr. He's the first person that died because he loved Jesus. That he's standing before the same people that made sure that Jesus was murdered. He's now standing before them, but he is boldly proclaiming Jesus. And as they listen to his message and his accusations, it says they gnash their teeth at him, which just sounds immature, but they gnash and they cover up his ears, their ears, and they're like, we don't want to hear this, so they drag him out. And they get the crowd going. They get this mob going. And all of a sudden, you start seeing some of the elders picking up stones. And one throws it, nails Stephen right in the side of the face. And all of a sudden, they just start chucking. They just start throwing. 
The Bible says that there's this man, this young man named Saul, standing, guarding the coats. And he's standing in approval of the murder of a man because he simply loved Jesus. Because this man followed the way. This man loved Jesus with everything. But as this is happening to him, it's not like he's screaming out. He's, what he's screaming out is not just like, hey, save me. He's like, no, he sounds like Jesus. He sounds like Jesus from a cross. But what would it feel like when Paul hears these words coming from the mouth of the man who's being stoned to death? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's just like Jesus right before he dies. Where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He gets pelted with another rock and Paul's listening as he screams out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And it's just like Jesus, that when Jesus was being attached to a cross with spikes through his wrists and through his feet, as it's happening to him, he is crying out, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. And I wonder if those words haunted Paul. Because as he heard them, he stood in approval of his death. Did it come back to his mind as he was writing out this letter to his friends in Galatia going, okay, that's what my former life was like. That's what I kept thinking. Like as I'm watching this, I was just in approval. And now I sit and go, that same God that was in Stephen. And we got to look up and see the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father before he dies. That's the Jesus who revealed himself to me. But he keeps thinking of what it's like before. And it's this regret that overwhelms him. And you would think that maybe when he heard that, he'd be convicted to, to his heart right when it was happening, when Stephen was saying the words, but you get to chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. The word ravage means to devastate or to ruin, to treat shamefully or, or with injury. He is going up against the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So what did you feel like as he's writing that letter to his friends? And maybe you're here. Can I ask you a question? Because this is the question that came to my mind as I'm looking at Paul's former life. He's just filled with rage and anger and violence and somehow he justified it in the name of God. All the while missing when God showed up. Are you filled with rage and anger about whatever? Something that happened in your life, something that happened maybe just recently or back in the day. Are you just filled with it and you're sitting there going, yeah, but God can never do anything with me. And friends, if he can do it with Paul, Paul's varsity, you're JV, you're a hobby. A hobby he cannot get enough of. And so when you look at that, you go, okay, this is what he was like. And then he continues to write the letter. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He's all about the religion side of it. And so maybe there's some of you that you would look and go, oh, I, okay, we do the Easter thing once a year. And Brian, that's enough. Let's not get crazy. Isn't it, aren't you so thankful that Jesus didn't use the same mentality when he showed up? Let's not take this too far. You just don't understand this once a year thing, nominal thing. 
You're missing out on the relationship that God wants to have with you every day, all day. So the questions that came to my mind when I read that part, do you struggle with self-righteousness or arrogance? Guys, I'm a recovering legalist. I remember the day when God, God, God agreed with me on everything. Those were great days. Then no matter what I thought, I knew it was God. And if you disagree with me, you probably don't know Jesus. I felt like I became the final authority on everything rather than God's word becoming the final authority. And then God ambushed me with grace. So guys, I get the self-righteous mentality. And you may say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I mean, I'm a good person. But before a holy God, we're all sinners. And it's not because, hey, we're sinners because we've, we've done some bad things. No, we've done bad things because we are full of sin. It's impossible for us to make ourselves right with God. So God comes for us, and this is the part that gets Paul. She may say, I'm a pretty good person, and God's sitting there going, no, no, you're not. So let me just encourage you. You may be thinking you're good, but you're not, and it's okay, because Jesus did not die for the perfected version of you. He died for the now version of you. The next question that popped in my head, do you, popped in my head, do you need to achieve in order to feel like you've arrived? Paul's sitting there going, no one was like me. I was surpassing everyone. And so you guys are that type A driven personality and God has put that into you and thank God for you. That's why things get done. The rest of us are just sitting there thinking about it. But if you're so driven that you are not willing to wait on what it is that God actually wants to do, if all that you're doing is you're living for Jesus rather than with and by Jesus, you are absolutely missing the point. Jesus does not need us to lead and to drive forward the church. He just says, you follow me. So for those of you that are living in that religious world where you are just going to lead and achieve and do all these things for Jesus, just make sure that it's about Jesus. Because Paul thought the same thing. He thought he was doing it for God. All the while, not realizing he was actually opposing him. So what was it like when Paul got to that point? He finished his little trek down memory lane. He starts to wipe his face and pick up his pen. And he starts off where he left off. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Amen. Yeah. So I've, I've got a question for you. What happened? I mean, how did Paul, as Pastor Brian was so masterfully explaining, how did Paul go from being this guy who, who was so focused and driven around burying the church and then in a moment would give his life to build the church? How does that kind of life change happen for someone? That is exactly what we're going to spend the next few minutes just talking about. Because you see, the former Paul, he, he was every Christian's greatest fear. And I want to ask you a question. What are you afraid of right now? What are the anxious thoughts that are coming to your mind? What are you, what are you dealing with? What, what is going on that just seems, the wall that seems too high for you to climb? What is it that you are torn up about? Because there was a group of early followers who were afraid for their life. I remember uh, it was a few, a few months ago, actually, back in November, uh, we were trying to figure out something fun to do as a family. So I'm a dad, I got four kids, and, and they're ages six, 
five, two, and a newborn. And so we can't afford to go to the movies, so we don't go to the movies. We're trying to figure out what to do with our family. And so we said, you know what? It's November. It was election day. Let's take the kids out, right? So that's what we do. So we grab all the kids, and, and we're about ready to get in the car, and we're talking about how we're going to go vote. And, and Sarah and I, my wife and I, were really excited about this. And Brinley, our, our four-year-old at that time, she was really confused about this and, and just seemed rather quiet. And and I said, Brinley, are you okay? And, and finally she spoke up and she asked me this question. She said, Dad, what are we going to vote for? And before I could answer, she said this. She said, are we choosing which one of us is going to die? <laughs> Could you imagine the anxiety that filled this poor four-year-old girl as she got in the car and thought, I might not just get voted off the island. I might get kicked out of the family permanently, Right? That's the anxiety she's feeling, but obviously that anxiety ended for her. But for these first Christians, they were full of fear because Paul was the epicenter of disaster and pain and turmoil for them. And yet, friends, one day can change everything. And as we're about to see recorded in the book of Acts, it's literally the historical account of what happened to this group of people who were following Jesus after he left, what ended up coming of them. We find the details of this story of the life change that happened for Paul. But friends, don't miss it. This story is so compelling and so powerful, but it's not just located 2,000 years ago. This story is just as powerful today. That at the end of our time together, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision that today would be that life-changing day for you. In Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it begins like this. Meanwhile, Saul, pause real quick. Like Pastor Brian was talking about, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. So we're talking about the same person. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul is your typical Enneagram 3, okay? He is motivated. He is driven. He is on a mission to arrest every single Christian he can. He, he describes him as followers of the way. And I love this because the first Christians were not just a social gathering of people coming together to feel comfortable. They were a group of people who were on a mission, who were described as followers of the way. It meant that by following Jesus, their actual life was different, that it mirrored God's desires and God's heart. But you see, Paul, he's got some letters in his hands. He's got these letters written by these high priests, but the reality is these letters had empty threats in them. And what he didn't understand is that the Christians 2,000 years ago and the Christians today, that we don't hold letters with empty threats in them. We have a resurrected Jesus and an empty tomb. And friends... Friends, we come here knowing that the power of God is in this place and has truly changed and transformed our lives. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey. You see, Paul, Paul was on a journey. And one thing every single one of us have in common with Paul is we're on a journey. Let me ask you a question. What right now is getting your best energy? What is the thing that you've given your whole life to? Is it, is it money? 
Is it fame? Is it celebrity? Is it followers? Is, is it meaning and identity? What is it that you have given your entire lives to? Well, Paul, Paul was on a journey to destroy this movement that he didn't recognize where any of the power had come from. He didn't know what he was up against. And then suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. This is an incredible moment in this story. Paul is on a mission to Damascus to arrest every Christian he can find. And all of a sudden, the light of the world literally circles him, stops him dead in his tracks. He might be thinking, is this a UFO? What is happening? I don't know. We know it was Jesus. That Jesus showed up, circled Paul, and said, you thought this is what your life was about, but I have something so much better in store. Friends, Jesus has so much better in store for you. Well, all of a sudden, Paul is blinded, as we'll find out a little bit later. He falls to the ground, and he hears the voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Twice in the original language, the name of Paul is uttered. Saul, Saul, he doesn't know who this voice is. Saul, Saul, why is it there twice? Number one, I'm convinced Paul had wet his pants at this point. You know what I mean? I mean, are you kidding me? The light's around him. The voice is screaming to him. I think the real reason, though, is that the voice being Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, I need your attention. I need you to look up here. Because what I'm about to drop on you, this truth bomb that I'm about to give you right now, is going to change your life. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Maybe some of you are asking that question. Who are you, Lord? Because of the circumstances of your life, because of the pain of the current situation you're in right now, because you're just at the end of your rope, because you've tried too hard for too long, and you're just going, who are you, Lord? And Jesus speaks up and says this, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. In the original language, there's probably parentheses to where it says, oh, snap, right? I mean, think about it. This is literally the guy who Paul has spent his entire ministry career trying to destroy, trying to disprove, trying to dismantle. And all of a sudden, he shows up and says, Paul, guess what? I'm back. <laughs> Paul, guess what? I'm alive. I have risen. I am Jesus. And friends, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I imagine at this point, Paul just thought it's over. This is the end of my story. And maybe after Brian reminded us that we're all sinners, we're all broken, that we're all dead to ourselves, that there's no hope in and of ourselves, we can't rescue ourselves, that you're feeling how Paul felt at this point where the reality and the truth that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave for you is so overwhelming that you're going, I don't deserve this. And it was at this point, I believe, that Paul thought there was a big period at the end of his story. He said, this is where my story ends. And then Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 Paul. There's a comma here because we are just beginning. Because we are just getting started. And friends, no matter what your story has looked like up to this point, there is no periods with God. There are only commas. That he is going to continue writing your story. 
And today, today might be that day that everything changes and no longer are you the author, but he is the author. You see, it's no accident. It's no mistake that you're here. I don't know exactly how you got here, but I am absolutely convinced who brought you here. That I believe God brought you to this moment, to this day, to this place to tell you that the same life change he did for Paul, he wants to offer to you. And you may go, Eric, my parents are really religious. Or or you may go, my kids are really religious. Or I've tried that before. Or I'm in college now. I don't know. This whole idea that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that's crazy. I get it. I understand. It sounds insane. But remember, Paul's story is, is not a story of rags to riches. Paul's story is actually one of riches to rags. Paul had it all going for him before he surrendered his life to Jesus. But what Jesus discovered and what you and I will discover is that as soon as his spirit enters our lives, as soon as we follow him with our lives, he begins to change us from the inside out. We may think we have a purpose, but he has a repurpose for us, and it's for every single one of you. 2,000 years ago when Jesus of Nazareth showed up on the scene, he showed up to live a life, to model for us what it means to truly be in a relationship with God. And then ultimately, he died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice. And everybody at that point, when he breathed his last, thought there was a giant period at the end of Jesus' story. But yet again, God was only just getting started. And so three days later, Jesus walked out of that grave. He walks out of that tomb. He's alive. He is absolutely resurrected. To say one important life-changing thing, that you matter so much to God that he would die and take all your sin and then prove that he's God and prove that he can change your life by coming back from the dead. You see, today is not about an Easter bunny. It's not about your kids not napping and having a horrible day. It's not about the family meal. You know what it's about? It's about this Jesus who changed everything and who wants to change your life. I imagine uh, Paul in the year 56 AD as he writes a letter to a group of people that he used to persecute. And they're wondering, how do we begin this relationship with Jesus? And maybe some of you are asking, how do we do that? What courses do we have to take? Or how much do we have to give? Or what is it going to look like? And then Paul utters these words. Words, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, life change is found only in Jesus Christ, who has the power to do for you what only he could do and what no boyfriend or girlfriend or career or passion or purpose could ever do for you. He has the power to save. So I want to invite everyone to close their eyes with me. And maybe you're here, and as you're hearing this message and awakening to this news, that there is a God who loves you so much that he died and rose for you. And you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, to experience that life change, to allow him to be the Lord of your life. Then I want to invite you to silently pray after me. Dear God, Thank you for sending your son 
Jesus Christ to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and for forgiving all my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. Amen. Amen. Woo! Don't we have some great young preachers here at Purpose Church? Oh, my goodness. You guys, you guys are all just waiting for me to die. I, I know, that's what you're just waiting for the, the old man to kick off there. Let's continue the story. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias said, you have got to be kidding me. That's in Pastor Brian's Bible. That's not in your Bible or my Bible. Maybe it's in the original Greek. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, Ananias was probably at the top of Paul's hit list for arrest and possible execution. Paul was the hitman hired to come into Damascus, Syria, in order to assassinate, to kill Ananias. And God says to him, Jesus says to him, hey, go and talk to him. It would be like a Jewish person in Nazi Germany being asked by God to go and pray for Adolf Hitler. It would have been just like that. But here's the great part. You can bring your questions and your doubts to God, and he doesn't get mad at you. And and I said, can I just check that name one more time with you? Would you give me the address, like just one more time? That, that I can't have heard that right. And God doesn't get mad at him and say, well, you just got to obey me right, right away and don't ask any questions. No. And if you've got questions, you're in good company. We all have questions. If you haven't figured everything out, don't feel bad. We haven't figured everything out. If you've still got doubts, it's okay to struggle with those doubts. Bring those doubts and questions to God. And he won't be angry with you. He loves you so much, he wants to give you those answers. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with all authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. Let's pause for a moment. You are God's chosen instrument. Just like Pastor Eric was just saying, you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. God called you here, or maybe you're listening online uh, somewhere across the country or different places uh, around the world. You might be listening right now online or a podcast later on. It's not an accident that you're here. God invited you to this moment. He just had the sun burst through the clouds to tell you I'm here. Wasn't supposed to show up till late this afternoon. And God said, you know what? I, I actually prayed to God. I said, Lord, it would be so nice if the people getting baptized, it would be a little bit warmer for them. 
Would you have that son come a little bit earlier? And he's here. He invited you to this moment. This is your moment. This is the day that could change everything. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday was the day that changed everything. The day that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus was the day that changed everything. This could be your day that changed everything. You are God's chosen instrument. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life that only you can fulfill. The story goes on. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias trusted God enough to obey him even when God called him to do a hard thing. And maybe if you prayed that prayer that, Pastor Eric, you, you can receive Jesus in the quietness of this moment, in the quietness of your heart, but eventually God wants you to go public with it. He wants you to take a stand, and the way he told us to do that was to be baptized. And that's the way followers of Christ have shown publicly that they want to be baptized for the last 2,000 years. Uh, Ananias was willing, he trusted God enough to obey him, even when God called him to do a hard thing. I'm going to ask you to do a hard thing. If you have never publicly said that you want to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you in a couple of minutes to come down here and to get baptized right over here. You say, that is crazy. I was not anticipating that at all. God's asking you to do an, an embarrassing thing, a public thing, a hard thing. And yet Ananias was willing to obey God even when he called him to do a hard thing and to love a difficult person. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Now, if somebody's come to town as a hitman to murder you, when it says placing his hands on Saul, what do you think that looks like? I think it looks like something like this. Thank you, my automatic prop. My third time jumps right up. Like this or like this. All right, very good. Uh, that's what it looks like. That's what you think it would be. And yet, if you go to the next phrase, what does it say? Brother Saul. I don't think this was choking him. I think this was a bear hug. This is a bear hug. Brother Saul. Who can do that in a person's life? Who can change their heart so that when the hitman comes to town, a former enemy, you wrap him in your arms, you give him a bear hug and say, brother or sister, we are one. There's only one that can do that. His name is Jesus Christ. The next three words give us the answer right there in the passage. The Lord Jesus. He's the one that Brian was just talking about that hung on the cross. And as he hung there, he looked at the people that were torturing him and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's the one that taught us to love our enemies. He's the one that taught us to pray for those that persecute you. He's the one that taught us to love and to pray for those that blow up our churches like the followers of Christ experienced earlier today in Sri Lanka. Who can change a life like that? Only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that can break down barriers between people. He's the one that can break down walls between people. Only Jesus can, can do that. You know, I think one of the best sermons today uh, is the one on the front of your program. We just look at the front of your program. When you get a chance later today, just analyze that and all the names that are there. Uh, and, and they are representative of all of us that are here together. This just happened to be the people that were up here, but really that's the tip of the iceberg. It represents all of us here in the Fairplex, the 2.4 billion followers of Christ all around the world, every language group, every ethnic group. And as you look across that page 
I tell you, my favorite part in the service was the multilingual scripture reading. How many of you love that? When all the different languages. And that's just a taste of what's happening around the world. Around the world, the greatest movement in world history, the fastest growing movement in world history. There are people all around the world in every nation, every language, every ethnic group, every racial group saying, he is not here, he is risen. Who could do that? Who can break down the walls between people? Who can break down prejudices? Who can break down profiling of each other? Who can do that? His name is Jesus. And so former enemies, Ananias walks in, gives Paul, the hitman set to kill him, a bear hug and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. Immediately took a public stand for Christ. He had received Christ as his Lord and Savior. He had decided to follow him. And the first thing he did is he went public with that. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before other people, then I'll acknowledge you when I come back someday. He said, if, if you're willing to go public with me, I'm willing to go public with you. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. One day can change everything. And from that day on, Paul followed Jesus for the rest of his life until he was executed by the Roman Emperor Nero and stepped into heaven for all of eternity. One day changed everything on that first Easter. One day on the road to Damascus changed Paul's life. And one day can change everything for you as well. Uh, would you just as I close here, turn with me to the back of your program. Uh, not the magazine you received, but the, but the program. If you look on the back of it, there's just three things I want to encourage you to do as a next step in following Jesus. First of all, if you prayed that prayer with Pastor Eric, uh, as you leave in a few minutes after our closing worship song, uh, as you leave, you're going to see connect centers that are each of the exits as you leave the Fairplex. And there's a following Jesus packet that looks just like this. It's just an Easter gift that we would love to give you as a church, a free, no obligation gift we'd love to give to you uh, if you prayed that prayer that'll give you some next steps in following after Jesus. And then the upper right-hand corner, is, uh, as Lisa and Talithia were talking about earlier, there's a new series we're starting next Sunday, Five Relationship Secrets from Jesus, How to Follow in the Footsteps of Jesus, How to Follow the Example of Jesus, to Love Like Jesus Did, to Love Like That. And uh, Pastor Brian's going to start that on the Claremont campus, and, and I'm going to start it on the Pomona campus, and Pastor Eric will be preaching part of that series as well. And we would just love to have you back next Sunday to begin to study how we can love like Jesus did and how that can transform our relationships. And then on the lower uh, right-hand corner, you'll see, as I just mentioned, we have baptisms today. And if you'd like to be baptized at the conclusion of this service, we've got clothes ready for you. We've got a change of clothes, t-shirts, shorts, towels. And if you go down the stairs, right by Pastor Greg, Pastor Greg is raising his hand. He is our tallest pastor. Pastor Brian's our second tallest pastor. Uh, uh, pastor Greg is our tallest pastor. You just go right down to that staircase, and you can see Yvonne is our, um, who is it from Family Feud? Well, Vanna White. There's Vanna White right there, uh, pointing to the two baptism uh, changing areas, and you can change there, and we would just love to see you take that step of publicly following Jesus
uh, before you go home today. God bless you. So glad that you've been here today. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Uh, let's all stand together and let's close with a song as we see some people follow Jesus in baptism right now. God bless you. Happy Easter.